is waiting on fries that you don't get it you don't what do you mean you don't get waiting on fries hopefully the customer never hears waiting on fries but all this time on the entree and it's perfectly executed and then you're it's like ready Fuck, to go i forgot to fire the fries i just always use that when i forgot to put somebody's order in and i was like hey i'm just waiting on the fries it's gonna be two more minutes realistically i come back 10 minutes with the food exactly <laughs> episode sounds a little interesting and that's because we're dialed in remote we are live from quarantine just as in quarantine i'm live from quarantine i couldn't let another episode go by of just you guys having to listen to those two by themselves so we had to force the quarantine production there we go appreciates it (laughs) so so what are we talking about today we got a couple things on the agenda yeah, man. So there's new there's news in the uh, fine dining world. A couple things are happening. Things that are a little bit different and unexpected. News out of Eleven Madison Park and their food truck, and then also uh, famed chef Massimo Batura is opening up his first New York City location. But it's not a restaurant. It's also a soup kitchen. Hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Expand expand upon what you're really saying here. So, Eleven Madison Park is one of the best restaurants in the world. It was actually voted the best restaurant in the world in 2017. They're just known for being the pinnacle of the best dining experience uh, from start to finish. But, I mean, a typical dinner there is going to run you over three, dollars $400 before you start talking about the wines that get paired with the food. So, for them to be operating a food truck is kind of a big deal. It's a massive departure from what they're known for doing. And the food truck isn't just a regular food truck that's going to drive around the city and drop off plates of food to the everyday customer, they're going to be serving underserved communities or needy communities, specifically the South Bronx. That's kind of interesting. And from a business perspective, though, does this kind of qualify as donating or some type of write-off where it's it's helping them? It's definitely charitable work. So I'm sure there is tax write-offs. And the funding from the food truck is going to come from um, actual plates being sold in the dining room. So they say $27 from each order or each plate, since it's a prefix menu, will go to the uh, cost of operating the food truck. That's pretty big. I mean, $27 stretches a long way, especially when you're looking to make it stretch. Yeah. You're talking about serving eggs on this food truck, you know, soups, other low-cost items that have high, you know, typical high margins in our businesses. That 27 bucks goes a long way. That truck could be funded for months on end doing things like that. Absolutely. Especially when you think about um, their dining arrangements, once they do open up for full capacity, they're probably going to be booked every night for months on end. So it's just guaranteed money coming in that you know is going to be able to fund your food truck. Yeah, so now they just either hire more or they allocate employees to wind up running that food truck, uh, typically, I I guess, throughout the week. Yeah, I assume that they have a, a separate food truck team based on the fact that they've been working with this company rethink new york um in terms of helping to get food out to the people in the communities that they need if they have their own rethink team that's most likely going to be people operating the truck it looks like it looks like in the article too it says they're going to rotate some of the some of the restaurant staff on and off the truck for you know certain shifts as well so i guess they're reaching out to the 
staff that showed interest in doing something else other than you know, their normal operation. For anybody who gets to end up working on that truck for a little while. I was walking through our kitchen the other day and I was like, damn, Chef Mike just doesn't get to see anything. He just stares at this grill the entire time. And throughout the entire shift, like if it's a slower shift, he might be the only one back there in the kitchen getting everything squared away. Yep. And I was saying to myself, this guy needs to change the scenery. He needs to see some things. Like I think if I was in the kitchen, I'd be one of the first ones to sign up to actually go on this truck. Let's see some other things out there in the world. You know, what's happening outside our four walls that we see and, and this pass consistently, uh, which is, I think, fun for the employees to be able to take part in, right? Oh, it's definitely fun. I would want to take part in something like that. Do you think, there's, so, do you think there's a disconnect a little bit from uh, a fine, like fine dining chefs, et cetera, that are working in this restaurant? It's just funny now when I'm here, when we're talking about it, and I'm looking at some of the pictures and like there's one with, <laughs> they're like, everybody's in full like chef's coat and everything and they're loading up the back of the of the back of the food truck and it just hits me like almost in movies when like a prince or a princess leaves the castle and goes down to where the peasants are and they're like i can't believe people are living like this and they're they're like just packing up their stuff and like we're gonna go down to the streets <laughs> it's probably way more exciting for them to be out there doing that than being in the kitchen it's probably a lot less pressure as well uh, similar to like Frank Lucas and American Gangster when they're putting all the turkeys in the back of the truck with the suits on and whatnot. Like, yeah, we got money now. And we're trying to provide for the community. Yeah, there is a disconnect and it's it's tough and sure, doing something like this is great. But you know, then you said that this wasn't the first time this has been done. No. So um, another chef, Massimo Batura, who's a famous chef from Italy, uh, owns owns and operates restaurants that were also on the world's 50 best list. He has been doing this same sort of soup kitchen concept for a few years now but he's opening up his first new york city location and instead of it being a restaurant it's one of these soup kitchens so this is going to open up in harlem this fall so like hi this is my entry into uh, american dining is like we're just going to open up this truck that is going to serve well, uh, well his, soup his, kitchen. Thing, his thing is in the is in this truck he's got an actual brick and mortar location that's just, gotcha the purpose is to help this needy community essentially well i like the fact that also though that they source their produce and product from local neighborhood grocery stores from probably whatever ugly surplus is about to not be on the uh the shelves anymore and get taken away which is so kind of with food waste as well yeah it's called sustainability in case people haven't been focusing throughout this en entire uh, waiting on fries endeavor so that's actually cool. To see. But it, I, I would think that's how soup kitchens work in the first place anyway, though, isn't it? Oh, for sure. I know there's there's definitely multiple companies that operate on that same sort of idea that they'll use any waste or leftover from restaurants, grocery stores, free markets, that sort of thing, just so all that food isn't going away. Food waste is a big deal in the restaurant industry. Like, tons of food gets thrown away. And furthermore, you can't do anything with it. Even if I wanted to take food from the restaurant and distribute it out to the homeless guys that are sitting outside or the less fortunate, you can't do that for fears of various lawsuits, right? Like there's yeah. so there's many like, different- There's health rules and regulations about like taking waste food and just donating or giving it away like on the street. I know there's there's rules about that, but so that's why companies like Rethink NYC are so good. and. Um, we also used uh, City Harvest at Manhattan. So they would come in and weigh our compost and have an idea of how much food waste that we had. And any food waste that 
was deemed worthy of being recycled and reused would go right to them. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, so this, this is good to see showing up, and it's good that this is popping up on the radar. I am interested in seeing what this food truck looks like. Like, do they, they keep the branding looking all super sleek and oh, pinky yeah. out? Like, There's mock-ups of it online. You can look it up. It's a cool-looking truck. It looks super sleek, especially for, you know, what it is. What was that truck called? Uh, the 11 Madison Park Rethink NYC food truck. Is Justin frozen? No, he's there. Okay. And that's a very sleek automobile that they have there. You know? Absolutely. Things... I was muted. I was muted. I muted myself. Cool. Um, you know, we're seeing, we were talking about last week a little bit, and uh, it's getting crazy to the point where everyone's starting to come back out again. And as people are getting vaccinated more and more, we're seeing a lot of people starting to show up and they're talking about, well, I should be able to do this. I'm vaccinated. That's going to hold merit at some point, but not yet. Right. We need to have, you know, the 75, the 80 percent area before people could start claiming, oh, I'm vaccinated. I should be able to do this or I should be able to do this. And at that point, then that little vaccination passport is going to be what gets you in the door in a lot of places, I think and allow you to have all those freedoms that you want again. So that way you can say, yes, I'm vaccinated. Let me into this fucking place. Um, so we're seeing the numbers start to show up, and I'm sure you guys are seeing it too in your you know, respective restaurants. Uh, but we're into the summer, and we're still getting our ass kicked for like the third week in a row. Just is extremely responsible, and he, you didn't really get to get that happening just right this weekend. No, we, we were we were fortunately back back up and running for the weekend, so that was that was good. We missed we missed the midweek though. Okay, yeah. break. You want to break down how everything happens, or you know the steps that you take instantly, like you know what goes through your mind in regarding to opening up for the summer, or regarding to closing. In regarding down? to closing down just over the week. Well, I mean, it happens pretty quickly. You get one person that you know, test positive, maybe a second person, you got to shut it down to stop exposure to everybody else. You know, that's the only way to make sure it doesn't just run right through the whole entire staff is stop having everybody together. And then uh, you got to leave a couple days for quarantine to respect the incubation period that differs through people and then get everybody tested. And then hopefully, you know, you have enough staff negative that will allow you to reopen the restaurant and in the meantime you can spend some of those days you know getting it getting everything cleaned and disinfected etc and going through stuff um you know that's basically it and then once you get everybody you know through the incubation period get negative tests you know what you can open with you can make adjustments like for instance we didn't have enough drivers to deliver for the weekend so we couldn't we couldn't deliver so we had to cut that that part out, but we were able to open the, you know, open the restaurant for service, which is the bulk amount of sales anyway. So, you know, we saved what we could and, you know, we got a couple people on quarantine, like myself, we should be back this week. And then hopefully as we hit the, you know, regular weather, we'll be back full, full force. 
it's crazy too to see how fast and easy it is to get tested now where the lines really don't exist anymore people just aren't really out there getting tested heavily like in our field we need to kind of do this here and there uh like you just said too you got to get the whole staff tested instantly they could all drive up pretty much to the testing site be tested have it done and get their status back within like 24 hour time period which yeah. is crazy to me well that and there's more places to get tested now too like you know i've been going to cvs pretty easily so uh i was told recently that cvs does keep four spots allocated for employees of the company or any of their subdivisions and if those employees do not use one of those four allocated spots that it might be possible at 12.01 a.m that they open up for the next day a few more uh vaccination spots that that way you can get vaxxed just a thought throwing it out there in case people are looking for it still Oh yeah, there's definitely plenty of places to get vaccinated now if you're if that's what you want to do. The Is city that, of New York yeah. had um, this pop up for the last three days, giving away the Johnson and Johnson vaccine for anybody who would call and make an appointment. Yeah, there's actually I get emails pretty consistently from the county too, saying, you know, we have more we have more spots opened up. Get your get your staff signed up, etc. I think the hard part is getting people to actually sign up at this point. It's not necessarily the, the availability, uh, the stock of the vaccine. If there was to be like a signature cocktail that represented COVID, or at least like this entire little time period that we've gone through this, like I think it would probably be the penicillin. I was gonna penicillin. Wrong, wrong LSD. I'm a, I'm allergic to penicillin. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah, won't stab you anytime soon. Um, just you're rolling out some things. Figure, figuring out or not figuring out but you're rolling out some specialty cocktail over the next what weeks yeah so actually for the next weekend weekend we're coming up to which is uh you know master's weekend but you know I hear this tomorrow so that yeah this weekend is a master's weekend down in augusta georgia the big golf tournament and i had a note actually in my google calendar to uh, prep an azalea cocktail for this weekend. I wanted to remember that. So it hit me up last, you know, the, the Google reminder hit me to prep azalea for the masters, um, which is a nice gin cocktail. It's pretty basic. Like there's a couple, actually a couple of variants. One you found that had vodka in it. One I found and the one we're going to use has gin, a little pineapple juice, some call for grenadine, some call for pomegranate. But anyway, we're putting together our riff on the cocktail. We're going to serve it all weekend with the masters and try to do something special on sunday uh to get people to come out for the masters is uh you know some of the first major tournaments past march madness that we're getting back to that were canceled last year so then it got me wondering how much does you know designing these signature cocktails that go and go inside with you know certain events does it really hit with the guests you know etc there's a couple of ones that people know about azalea i think is a little less known that it goes with the Masters. I know everybody knows about the mint julep that goes with the Kentucky Derby. I yeah. find, I always find it funny, kind of like my thoughts on um, corned beef, corned beef on St. Patrick's Day. You know, everybody comes out on St. Patrick's Day and wants to eat corned beef. They never order it one time the rest of the year. I think the same thing with the mint julep. I don't know how many times someone's ordered a mint julep randomly throughout the year at the bar. Probably more than people order corned beef. 
but you definitely get like Kentucky Derby Day. Everybody's like, I need a mint julep, right? You don't even know what it is. So you want to be a butter tradition. It's one funny. Of the problems. Yeah, one of the know. problems that exists too, though, just is that like the mint julep, if your bar isn't prepared to serve it, and that's using beautiful pebble ice or crushed ice, it's tough because you need to present it the right way. And like, you can't just put that over shit ice. It just doesn't look right. It doesn't yeah. prepare right. And it doesn't send out right. Yeah. It looks like crap over regular ice. Yeah. And especially your glassware, like glassware matters so much when it comes to cocktails where you can't force a drink for something that you're not prepared for. As you know, I carry, I carry the pebble ice on the regular. So. Oh yeah. No, that's a big pop right there. <laughs> we actually featured it when we did some Instagram reels last week, uh, which is great. Like that really worked out well. The reels came out well. Um, also, side note, if you have your bar and restaurant, start using these Instagram reels. They are really pushing you through the algorithmic cycles to say, hey, and you said yourself, Just, that they're showing up in the Explore page. Yeah, I mean, they definitely want The more you're using the reels, that's their new thing. That's their competition with TikTok. So the more you're using them, the more they're gonna they're gonna push you through. But I guess my question is, is the the use of these to- the use of these cocktails, you think they're more for the overall experience that we're celebrating the specific event over the week? Or do people actually enjoy the cocktail? And I guess you could have both, but you know, which which way does it go more? Is it the actual enjoyment of the cocktail itself? Or is it just the total immersion in the event that's going on for the weekend? I think it's immersion in the event. I think it's people wanting to be a part of this thing that's happening. And a way to be a part of it is to drink like the guys are drinking at the tournament. Yeah, furthermore, Justin, we've discussed it before too. Like, talk about being immersed into an event or immersed into a spot. Yeah, like, you know why Six Flags sucks? You go to Six Flags and it's got roller coasters. That's great. But there's not a world that you're living in when you go there. There's nothing to believe. Like, it's not Disney. It's not Universal. It's not set up to the point where every single piece of the facility is real and you can touch it and you can feel it. And, you know, we watched that Walt Disney documentary where he said every single piece of this should be believable. You should be able to grab the handle, the door knocker on the front door and be able to move it and feel that it's real. And I think that's similar to putting on a big event or any event for that matter, where, yeah, you want to tie every single piece back together again. And we talked about it last week, Nooms, uh, on the waiting on Friday side of things. And we discussed that one of the big things that people could be doing is events to get people into the door. Mm-hmm. And for that, yeah, you could be doing movie-themed events and have your star bartender come up with a movie-themed cocktail just to tie everything in. I bet the sales would skyrocket. You could even take it a step further and use some shit that you've got way too many cases of downstairs because somebody fucked up the order and you could get it out the door creatively and people will buy it. You know, what's funny is I actually have way too many cases of gin. So this, this Azalea cocktail is coming out at just the right time. Well, furthermore, gin is such a great spirit because it takes on everything that you put with it. So like, it's very easy to move gin, no problem. You just create the cocktails around it. You you can create a, a ton of different cocktails around the bottles of gin that you have for the entire summer. People don't know that they like gin because they just haven't had it the right way. I agree with that. Uh, I think 
you know, years ago being in the young college party bar, my girls would come up and say, oh, make me something. I'm like, what do you like? And instead of having that, eh, I go, I'll make something. And I'd use gin and all the drinks. And next thing you know, they'd be running around with it on the floor. And then I'd have four more people come up and say, what was the drink that you made the other one? With the little blue in the top. <laughs> Just fl- float some blue carrots out, right? Now it stands out. Um, but sure enough, it's like, if you feed it to them, they will drink it. Especially if it's good. How about the uh, how about the honey deuce? Have you heard of the honey deuce? No. no. What's that? That sounds is like a, a list. That's the uh, <laughs> sounds like <laughs> sounds like a list. No, that's the uh, the cocktail for the U.S. Open. Uh, and what's in here? You're gonna like this, Jay. It calls for uh, one part vodka. Uh, okay. Three parts lemonade. And a, a half a part of raspberry liqueur, and then the garnish is little uh, honeydew melon balls because they look like tennis balls. All right, that's funny. And and here's the thing too, right? We talked to Jess uh, a couple episodes. No, no back. comment on the parts. No, I. It's designed specifically so people at home can make it easily. Like, <laughs> oh, if it's one part this and it's two part this, and they're just dying things out, right? It, I get it. I'm not getting at it. Uh, but we did talk to Jess a couple episodes ago, and she works for Moet. And sure enough, I found that they have a Golden Globe signature cocktail, which is, of course, Bubbles, Belvedere, Simple, and Pineapple. Super easy to do at home. Anybody could do this. So a lot of times when you see these like smaller at-home driven events, the cocktails are very easy to put together. Very few ingredients in them. Not a whole lot of shit needed or anything that you know you would need tools for that way people could just execute in the comfort of their house um you talk about other cocktails that are kind of themed around uh, uh themes not to use the same word in a sentence but look at the baby yoda cocktails that were showing up all over the place right they were green they had olives for the eyes limes disgusting i would never make it in a million years but people were really trying to push those, that out there. Those cocktails annoyed me so much. Every time I saw <laughs> it, I was like, this is, and to be honest, most of them just looked terrible too. Like I didn't see one that was like, that looks like a refreshing drink. No. With like exactly. the two little lime wedges on either side. I was like, this just looks like a badly garnished margarita. Exactly. It looked like it was something straight out of 1997. Like uh, it was Applebee's like failed yeah. signature cocktail or something. Um, like but the then you could take the cactus margarita glass, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. Yes, correct. And then you could take things like another step too. And then, of course, there's all these self-proclaimed, and by self, I mean whatever blog you're probably looking at, uh, self-proclaimed drinks of whatever state it is. And like, I think it's fair to say New Orleans with the Sazerac. But then you start looking at all these other lists that pop up. And who's making these lists, right? Who's claiming that these are the official drinks of yada, yada, yada? You could find 12 different drinks, I'm sure, as the quote-unquote official drink of some middle America state where there's not a million different people putting out lists like or claiming that this is our cocktail. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure it just depends on where you look and that's how your information is going to be curated. But, you know, it's not, there's nothing wrong with having one of these fun little lists. No, I'm not knocking the list. I'm just saying that there's no such thing as an official state drink, really, or official city drink, really. And I think you just said it a little bit ago, too, uh, 
before we started hitting the recording button was like what's the signature drink of the city the manhattan um which like no it's it's not <laughs> like it, and just i think you said something in a couple episodes back too about what the highest selling drink is across the u.s and well i forget what it was was it a mule it was uh i think it changed a couple of years one one year was a margarita one year was a moscow mule um I think it depend. It kind of coincided with what the number one spirit was in the country for that year. Yeah. So, I, I, listen. These things are ways that you can promote events. You can wrap events around it. I mean, like, you need to do events to draw attention into your business. We just talked about this last week with Nooms. <laughs> this looks terrible. Yeah, Justin's actually sharing the image right now through Zoom of some of these Yoda cocktails, which is now super distracting from what I was reading. Um, <laughs> you literally just took over my entire screen. But we were talking about these events, and you can make an event out of anything. Like, Cocktail Garnish Co. has been in Instagram jail for the last week and a half, and we started creating an event around it because we were able to post stories about being in jail. And we did it so many times that there were so many people realizing that we were locked locked up and we weren't able to post anything that I wound up crafting an escape movie um, uh, to show like, hey, we're out now. Like, we're, we're back free again. And then we put an email blast surrounding the fact that we're out free again, including the video into the email blast to generate, you know, doing the extra things. And then uh, with that said, there's nothing you can't create a story around. You just have to get a little bit creative about it and sure, tie some cocktails into it to immerse the people. That's what I got for you. Stories sell things. Stories do sell things. Sorry, that was just short and short and sweet. I don't elaborate more on stories sell things. Correct. Um, again, I would like to apologize for all this terrible audio that you <laughs> thus far listened to. Um, we'll be back, I think, next week with a little bit more clean cut sounds as per usual. But until then, if you're stuck in quarantine, use newyorkprimebeef.com to have steaks delivered to your quarantine hole. I did that. I had a wonderful Wagyu burger last night. It was delicious. Oh, and I used code FRIES15 and got 15% off. Did you spend over $200 to get that free shipping? I did. Good for you. So what else did you get? Yeah, I got the Wagyu summer package. You know, I got the ribeyes and the and the strips and then the burgers and some nice breakfast sausage and some kielbasa. It was it's a pretty nice fat. The breakfast sausage is actually slamming. That sounds like a good place to get right before the Memorial Day weekend. You know, stop it right. It definitely is. It was their most popular selling package last year, the summer sampler, summer wagyu sampler pack. And for like two hundred and fifty bucks you get eight steaks, eight Wagyu steaks, and like 12 sausages and breakfast sausages and eight burgers, all of the Wagyu quality. So you really can't beat it. That sounds awesome. I might have to get one of those for myself. NewYorkPrimeBeef.com. Promo code FRIES15, 15% off your total order. Boom. Good to go? You got to you gotta do your thing, news. Oh. Guys, don't forget to smash that like and subscribe button because, you know, algorithms. <laughs>